0: It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a Seabot podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts. And the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at That's seboc.com. That's S E B O C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away?
1: Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to CBoc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of FreeGo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Well, thank you very much, Jeremy, and welcome everybody. Uh, Here we are once again, we are no longer on Deep Dive. We are transitioning, Uh, we're using Zoom today. We're going to be eventually going to with LinkedIn Live and uh, blending StreamYard with that as well. So we will be available on multiple platforms. Uh, But we're glad that you joined us today because we love these discussions and there's always a great sharing of information. Of course, I'm joined by Sarah Smith-Berry and Dr. Jeremy Lukaba, our sort of leads on uh, the I.O. field. And Jeremy, let's throw it back to you with what are we going to talk about today?
1: So today we're talking about, you know, how do you maximize an onboarding process with the focus on the end goal, of retention. And I know that a lot of people here that are just tickled and ready to go because it's such an important and interesting topic because we're, again, um, I people probably get tired of hearing me say it, but we're aiming for an emotional attachment to the organization. It's called affective commitment. That's what keeps people in organizations. So, during the onboarding process, we'll start out. There's two key questions that people that um, leaders, if you're in HR, if you're in charge of the onboarding process and learning and development, when creating that experience, what do you want your, employee, your new employees thinking about on their way home after their first day? What do you want them to be feeling as well? And then what do you want them to be thinking about and feeling on their next day coming in? One of the key things, it's very important to reduce uncertainty during the onboarding process, uncertainty is the biggest thing that keeps employees from being able to hit the ground running. And uncertainty meaning, where do I go? What do I do? Who's going to be my friend? Who's my boss? How's my boss? What are some of the the social norms here? Those are all big pieces of uncertainty that can really cloud any of the important messaging that companies think they're getting across during the onboarding process, but they're not because of that fear, worry, and that sense of uncertainty. So we're gonna address a lot of those uh, things today as we collaborate. And I'll urge everyone, just as we did in Deep Dive, this is a more or less a free for all moderated by Tom. If you would like to to talk, please use the raise your hand function or just mention it in the chat or mention a question. But we want it the same uh, as we did with Deep Dive where really everyone has the opportunity to be on stage and where the three of us do not do the bulk of the talking because there are so many bright and -and up-and-coming minds uh, in the I.O. space, in the HR space, and in the organizational change space. So that's how we're going to
2: run it. Tom, over to you. There we go. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of the, I mean, I'm not an I.O., but one of the great reasons I love sitting with this group is that Knowledge Bank, and it's, you know, as, as you say, Jeremy, there's people like yourself that are much older. There's people who are just starting in the field. And yeah, I'm going to call you old, even though I got the gray hair. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's a great sharing. And there are people on the front lines who are, you know, experiencing this every single day and can bring that experience to our discussion. Uh, Sarah, let me start with you because, you know, I've had onboarding experiences. They've never been good. You know, the the last time I got onboarded was a three-day marathon where basically HR shows up and says, you know, here's what we do, here's what you get, here's what you're not going to do because the next time that I'm talking to you is going to be on your way out the door. So, you know, it was a really negative experience with HR, but then we had trainers who basically their job was that well (laughs) it was with a post-secondary institution and they had spent a lot of money on a uh universal training platform that we were all supposed to incorporate you know with our our classes and you know i'm not going to name them you know i'm not going to name what the program was because it's i'm sure there are other people even outside education, who were using it, but it was basically the training was, we spent a lot of money and we need you to use this to make us look good for spending this amount of money. And there was no follow-up. It was three days of pressure on us to conform and and I'm in the arts field, so good luck with that. Mm -hmm. But then it was like a terrible experience. It was over in three days, there was no follow-up. It was just sort of something that we all felt we needed to get through. So please tell me that there's a better way.
3: There is a better way, Tom. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm sorry that so many people do have to go through that. Um, A lot of problems that you uncovered just in that short amount of time. So um, I think it really starts at the end of the day is why do you want an onboarding process? What goal do you have at the end of the day? Okay, If your goal is compliance, and your goal is making sure that your risk management team is happy, then by all means, put your people through a three day hell week and hope that they come out the other side enjoying working for you and and drinking the company Kool-Aid. However, if you'd like to do it a little bit better, um, more organizations are embracing a tactic called employee experience where they're actually gathering data um, as employees are entering the organization during the onboarding process And then they're iteratively changing what that experience looks like for the entire employee lifecycle. Okay. So that's from onboarding all the way through receiving your succession plan from the person who filled the role prior to you or role development. Should that be a new position that was created just for you? Because that happens quite a bit. And I'm actually a huge fan of that. Um, And then all the way through, you know, uh, check-ins, employee engagement check-ins, And all of that, um, it's all part of one big process, one iterative process. And it's really important that you are, in fact, you know, using the resources of HR and compliance because, you know, we have to do ethical business practices. That is essential. But at the end of the day, the employee experience should be the main focus while being guided by those ethical guidelines. Right. And I want to ask Jeremy, too, if there's anything that he would add to that.
2: So yeah, Jeremy, let's go to you because especially, you know, part of our discussions lately have been not only onboarding, but onboarding in the new environment. So now we have remote workers who may come to the office to do some onboarding. They could live on the other side of the country, so that's not possible. So how do we move onboarding to this new sort of paradigm that is more inclusive? But now, do this in the remote workforce.
1: It's uh, easy and it's tough <laughs> at the same time. So you take your traditional elements. So if you if you didn't have uh, an in-person onboarding experience program that worked, uh, you, you know, get one. Find find someone you can work with to get you one. And how do those elements transfer? I'm actually going to put in here in the chat. So there's a. It hasn't been updated for remote work, but this is uh, some of the things really do apply. There's a link there where you can. It's called six unique onboarding elements. It's a it's a free download. It's a, it's a PDF. It's a uh, it's a guide, so anyone can feel free to go and download that. And for anyone listening on the uh, the recorded work cookie podcast, if you go to seebock. and then go to open resources and then go to shop. You'll see some pdfs it's called six unique onboarding elements but some of those some of those things will will help and to speak now tom to what you're saying in terms of the remote workforce the key is that communication and Tom, you and i just got uh, uh back from i shouldn't say back from off of about 10 minutes ago our, our virtual conference uh, virtual communication mastery event where we talked a lot about how important that communication is and how a lot of managers have fear because they lack the confidence. And it's really about, for the managers, visioning out, what's it going to look like? And if I can do this up front, think about a first impression, right? So what's onboarding? It's a first impression or a second impression, depending on your recruiting experience, to the organization. A, first, a bad first impression, we look at the psychology of it, can take six months to reverse. Six months of good interactions with someone to reverse a first negative impression, That's quite a bit. So if we look at this in terms of the onboarding experience, it's really, really important. And if I'm a manager, if I'm a manager in the workplace and I understand that whatever my role is in that onboarding experience, or if I don't have a role, I should be taking one. If I can make that a good one, I have six easier months uh, in the beginning. And if not, I've got to do, I've got to do a lot of work during those six months. Because it all goes down to how do we help our employees to hit the ground running? How do we help our employees to jumpstart that emotional attachment to the organization? I want to ask, um, uh, I do want to ask Brittany, if you're uh, Brittany, you're here. I don't have my full screen up, but I know you're here because you you have a unique perspective on onboarding and you also onboard. Really, I, I, th- I see you, Brittany, as onboarding a lot of people simply to to the field of IO because you work with a lot of people who are just getting in to the field of IO and there is an onboarding process there formal or not that you incorporate. And when we look at the, so Brittany, I want to ask you to, to speak on that in a second. When you look at what's important with the onboarding experience, networking, right? So we look at, if you, if anyone wants to, to geek out over the research of it, look at socialization, look at, look up the term and your peer reviewed articles uh organizational socialization. That that's what it looks like in, in a lot of the a lot of the studies, a lot of the journals. When you look at what is socializing to an organization, it's networking, uh reducing uncertainty, realizing that you're finding understanding how the work that you're doing is going to be matched with the skills that you actually have. Let's face it. How many people have gotten hired to an organization because they were really good at something and you had to talk about all these behavioral things you've done in the past and what value you're going to add and then you get to the organization and within after the after your initial onboarding experience you realize that you're going to be told what to do, how to do it and you're not going to really going to have a say in a whole lot. So it's important there that there's also follow through and that takes managerial communication. As well. Brittany, would you like to speak a little bit about onboarding from your perspective in terms of either organization-wise or really onboarding IOs to the field?
4: Sure. I'm happy to say a little bit um, and also happy for anybody's feedback or pushback when I'm done here. Um, hadn't really thought about what I do with IOs as onboarding them into the field, but I think that's accurate. Um, Okay. So for IOs coming into the field, there's like logistical challenges. Like none of my professors could tell me what I can call myself when I graduate with my master's. And then there's the loneliness factor. Maybe I should say more like the emotional side of it. Um, in that, you know, like in, uh, I live near Fort Wayne, which is a fairly decent sized city, but like, I was like working hard on LinkedIn to find all the other IOs and what they were doing with their life. And so many of them were just disillusioned if they were more than five years past graduating because they're like, well, I'm doing this social work thing that I hate, but I might move to Chicago to see if I can find a job in IO. Like it was so sad. So I I think what's going on, I, I could be wrong with this, but It seems like to me that there are these older IOs that have been in the field for a long time. And I think they all had to duke it out on their own and and figure it out. And um, they got really good at the things they did in I.O. And some of them did like all the things. So they have this deep wealth of um, tools, abilities, knowledge. And then us newer people that are graduating, um, I, I think we just kind of assumed there would be some sort of community that would give us the logistics and or a sense of belonging in our field and then we graduate and it's just not there. So there's like these fractured places where you can like maybe this Facebook over here group is hot right now and people are responding to questions or this LinkedIn place, you know, for 6 months somebody's posting some good jobs but there's just not a lot there. So what I'm trying to do is get the logistics in line, which I'm not sure I'll totally be able to be successful with, but get some logistics in line in that, like, these are some ways that you can navigate this, but also provide the you're not alone message and action to back up that message as well. So that's what I'm doing. What I'm calling it right now is the uh, IO career strategy community. Um, but yeah, over the past couple of weeks, especially we've been looking at what's out there for us, like how many Facebook pages, how many LinkedIn pages, you know, we talked about CBOC, we talked about, you know, buy up and lie up and Asians and IO psychology and the podcasts that are out there, like what's going really, really well, who's doing, you know, the things really well that we don't need to recreate and what's not out there for us yet that we really need. So that's what I'm actively trying to build for IOs that are in school or, Um, Have graduated and are looking for their first job, or are maybe looking to find more belonging in the IO world. Aside from that, um, a lot of my work with corporate consulting clients ends up involving onboarding. For example, I just last week delivered an onboarding program to a uh, manufacturing client in my area, and it was quite the learning process because I could see everything they needed. And it was, um, it was extensive. (laughs) I mean, they they essentially need a whole cultural change, but what they could handle me giving them was so small. It literally felt like I was handing them a Tonka truck, like a Tonka toy truck, instead of like the whole semi, uh, like with all of the mechanics that they needed, um, which I think is just kind of the nature of IO work. Sometimes we can't give everything that we know the organization needs. Um, yeah, so I see my role as infusing a lot of the interaction, making sure the company says welcoming messages, messages that say, we value you messages that say you belong here and then backs it up with actions. And then that follow through that somebody mentioned a few minutes ago that, you know, three months later, six months later, those two messages and actions threads aren't dropped. So I will pause there, um, yeah and let other people pick it up
2: well thank you very much for that and and great work in bringing the community together i see we've got a couple of hands up joe your hand was up first so if you want to unmute uh we'll go to you next and then linda Ann will follow up with you
5: thank you sir uh, can you guys hear me okay
2: we can hear you well good
5: perfect um i just wanted to comment because uh i just i was listening to Brittany talk and and it really spokes me um something i haven't um talked about uh uh, with, with this group. And and I do join, um, pretty regularly to, uh, to Jeremy's, uh, to week, uh, Jeremy's weekly podcast. Um, so I actually do research on the side, uh, independently of my job. Uh, I am looking at developing an, uh, master's level, um, competency model for new graduates or young professionals. Um, right now it's in the scope of my previous grad program, but, uh, being a good IO psychologist and, and uh, doing surveys, I hope to partner with this group in this organization and um, buffing out that research to develop a really robust, um, nice competency model that, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys all know what a competency model is or, or at least have the framework of, of that impact. But uh, um, just wanted to mention that because I haven't mentioned it before and uh, what Brittany said really spoke to me and I, I think uh, there's some opportunity for collaboration there.
2: It's great for you to bring that forward, Joe, and It sounds like a really worthwhile project. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you.
6: Good morning. And um, I feel really strongly, I usually feel really strongly about whatever I raise my hand for, but um, w- one of the things I think is important when we're talking about onboarding is to understand, at least from my perspective, that there's a real difference between employee orientation and employee onboarding employee orientation is much more of a housekeeping process, you know, it's where are your keys and, and, you know, here's the bathroom in the kitchen and you can park over here and you, you can't do this or whatever it is, but it's, and, and I understand, you know, your, your mental stress under three days of that, you know, but an onboarding process is, is different. It's much more of that socialization and integration and, um, how are you going to succeed within this organization process? And there are certain elements that you can put in place with each employee that really facilitates and that process creates the mentorship, the engagement and connection to the rest of the organization that I think is really important to understand as a strategic onboarding process for employee retention. And it goes again to, you know, how do you recruit for retention? It's an, it's an ongoing process. It's a process that, that is put in place to engage people on a daily basis. And I think that if you look at, you know, what's the balance when you're looking for employee engagement from employees, what are you doing on the other side of that scale that can that balances it out and contributes to that engagement and to me it's partly that commitment to the onboarding process and the integration into the organization
2: so linda and let me ask you where's the disconnect because you're you're exactly right uh, that 3 days of hell felt a lot more like house cleaning than onboarding uh, and, but there was a there's a disconnect, you know, and I didn't feel welcome to the community. I felt a little bit more like, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? So where's the disconnect with leadership in not understanding this?
6: I think that part onboarding is a, a newer concept and people confuse orientation with onboarding. And I think that we need to educate people as to there's a real difference and how are you going to commit to that process, you know, and and it lasts. I mean, there's checklists and things that I've utilized, you know, that that is very specific about what you work on in those first 90 days. um, also having those mentor buddies in-house to constantly be, first of all, your hundred question a day person for the first two weeks, you know, where's the pencils, where's this, whatever. And um, and then having them go ahead and, you know, take you out for coffee and do the buffering and all of those kinds of things. It's a whole process, but people have never experienced it, don't understand the difference. And I think it's an education process.
2: I also worked for a small city and uh, they did a better job of onboarding, uh, but we, we, they did take me for lunch, except I, I got to lunch to discover that the new guy paid. So, <laughs> so maybe they need to change that a little bit. Um, maybe. <laughs> Jeremy, let me go to you because, you know, earlier, Brittany was talking about, you know, there, there's a, I o. is becoming a field, which is growing. And there's a whole new generation that are, you know, in their master's or their PhD program right now. But, you know, when I envision the future, especially now with the remote workforce, you know, I I, companies, you know, they call virtual communication mastery. They want to work with us. We're blessed with the fact that we've got you, you know, we have an IO so we can bring the IO into the discussion you know when virtual communication mastery leaves the premises they really do need an I.O. in place to continue the work so do you feel that with all of the changes we're seeing right now you know it's not only the remote workforce it's this notion that employees are no longer expenses their assets on the balance sheet do we need someone like an I.O to help the organization navigate all of these changes so that we remain to be productive and profitable?
1: A lot of organizations are realizing that they need an in-house IO, and we've seen an explosion. There's a lot of IOs here on the uh, in the group today, and you know, it goes worth repeating. In, in 2012, the Bureau, US Bureau of Labor Statistics put out a report, IO, IO Industrial Industrial Organizational Psychology, was to be the fastest growing single, number one, growing job in the US until the year 2022. Here we are, 2022 is what, two weeks away? And it's not number one anymore, but it's also been 10 years. And the explosion has been absolutely insane, which is we see the the growth of the IOs coming out and graduating with these degrees. And finally, and luckily, the unfortunate part is that I.O. is still, after 100 years, not had a proper introduction in the workforce. So many I.O.s still have that problem of, hey, what do you do? Oh, industrial organizational psychology. I ah, never heard of it. So we're still facing that branding battle, which is no secret. At the same time, we've noticed an explosion, really, of jobs that are requesting very specifically someone with an industrial organizational psychology degree. Five years ago, you couldn't find an I.O. job unless you had a master's or PhD in I.O. Now we're actually seeing jobs you can even that are requesting that someone even have a bachelor's degree in I.O. psychology, which says a lot to the exponential growth uh, to, to, of the need for what we do with the data and ana- analytics, with the assessment, being able to run the assessment background with the coaching, with the change in the paradigms, and with the ability to lead and be more on the strategic end as well, not just the tactical. So, do organize, Speaking from an inside consultant, yes, organizations I believe should have a consultant at the C-suite, at the decision-making table, because they, they are the ones that are going to be able to do multiple things: work through the organizational politics, work through the communications, help uh, leaders and organizations understand, hey, now we've got all this all this data that's not being used. What do we do with it? How do we collect the new data? From, and and how do we use that new data? And how also do we focus really on no longer just checking a box for, for once and for all? How do we work to create an environment for employees that works? Uh, I, it comes back to me from time to time. You can't make a flower grow by yelling at it, right? You've you've got to you've got to create the right environment. And it's the same with with if, if anything. Anything is really the environment. Even you know behavioral problems with kids change someone's environment, change their surroundings. And part of that environment are, is, are the, it's the culture, it's the working relationships of team members. It's the, the, the leadership communication very specifically, how do leaders lead without making their employees have to save face, become defensive. How do we, how do you, how do leaders communicate in a way that actually increases confidence, provides a, a future path for someone's passions. There's all kinds of things. Now, an external consultant's job is usually to give a good uh, external consultant. If you're good, if you if you're ethical, I should say I shouldn't say good. If you're ethical, is to give to to be able to provide organizations with the know-how and the systems and the processes so that you can eventually leave, and to be able to instill habits. Uh, so that you can be caught on from time to time, instead of being on the whole time. Now, in, internally, it's a whole different ball game because you're going to have someone that's really involved and understands from it from an inside point of view and really gets it. But but can also, I think, IOs no matter how in depth they go uh, in an organization, we're 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 very good at continuing to take
2: an outside point of view. So
1: Tom, I don't know. Did that answer your question at all? Or should
2: <laughs> <laughs> sort of, but it did spawn another question as well, because, you know, in the audience that we're attracting is mostly IOs, but there's also HR and there's communication, but you know, for someone who's not an IO who's not into HR, there does seem to be, you know, although they, they are two different organizations or two different, you know, uh, industries even that there is some crossover there and you know you're right because I have noticed recently some job postings for you know other IO or HR where they seem to want a combination of training so you know you mentioned early having you know a, a bachelor's degree in IO uh, and you know I've actually seen ads where it's you know we want at least a bachelor's degree in IO plus we want the HR training or vice versa so is there are we going to eventually see these two coming together or are we going to see them, you know, have some crossover, but still be two different entities?
1: I want to get some, I want to get uh, maybe Marissa or Angelo to, uh, to chime in on this particular one. I think you're seeing it, they're become farther and farther apart finally. And I think that's what IOs have always wanted because a lot of people have graduated with IOs degrees and they think what's the closest thing, HR, when really, if, if, you, if you really think about it, IO is, it's, it's, not a, you know, it's not HR at all. There are some, if you look at the, the webbings of it, and if anyone wants a diagram, I have one, just email me, let me know of the differences between IO and HR. It's a huge mind map that I created. But it's, it's really, there are two different things. You know, One, you look at more of the strategy and the tactical HR, and we've talked about this plenty of times, the number one job of HR is to keep the, the company out of legal hot water where the number one job of, um, of IOs is to create the strategy and the processes and also gain the tactical edge with creating the right environment, looking at employee engagement. How do you really get um, uh, employee retention to happen? How do you gain that emotional attachment to the organization? How do you make sure that you're recruiting and hiring the right people? And we could go on and on and on with that. But um, I was going to ask, Angelo, do we have any hands raised? I don't have a full screen view here. Um, Angelo, do you want to speak to this, Angelo? You here,
2: Angelo is here, and his can mic is now on. Yeah, we can yeah. hear you. Go ahead.
1: Awesome. Yeah,
7: I feel like a lot of what I'm hearing from this conversation is cultural development, right? Like, especially with the whole onboarding processes. I like. I really like what I heard about, you know, getting oriented versus being onboarded, and that's a huge distinction because I feel like a lot of people mistake the two and they give you everything you need or your curriculum or outline for the job expectations. But like you said, Jeremy, you can't yell at a plant to get it to grow, right? You have to nurture it, provide the right nutrients to the soil and water it and make sure it's getting enough daylight. And employees are the same way. We want to incorporate them into a specific culture so that those things become a natural piece of who they are while in the workplace. And that seems to be, you know, one of the highlighted points for employee engagement, retention, and effectiveness is having a strong piece of where you are at in the organization, how you fit culturally, and your understanding of how those two pieces work together, right? How your job specifically meets and fulfills the mission and the objectives of the organization, 100%
1: 100% to, uh, I'll do a quick ad. And my quick means not so quick. Of course, Tom, you know this. I'll do I'll my, do my not, mic. not so quick add to this. It's, uh, it, it's exactly what Angela said. And just, just, it made me think of, you know, what's one thing, because I'm all about action items. You know, you, you leave our event, you, you're done with listening to the podcast. What's one thing that, that you can do for managers that are struggling when they're onboarding employees, Here's here's one thing because it's what it's what almost every new hire wants to do is prove themselves, apply what they learn. If you're a manager, you likely have an issue. You likely have a problem that you've been trying to solve for a while. It could be logistically, you know, how do you get how do you get the bread to get to the bakery faster, right? It could be anything, right? Have your new employees brainstorm and try to solve the problem for you because it's not going to be long until they're told we we don't do things here. We do things the way that we do, and all. it's it's their one chance to have them connect with you. And believe me, and I've mentioned this before. Um, I consulted for a multi-million-dollar construction company, and what they did to solve some of the problems when they couldn't get their engineers, when they couldn't get all of their uh, all of their biggest brains to find out how to solve a problem, they would go internally: the janitor, the admins, whatever it may be. They would get them together and say, "Hey, what would you do?" And they would come up with, I mean, they would solve very, very heavy problems, very financially costing, uh, costing problems. So when you have a new hire, you've got fresh minds uh, And sometimes, if you haven't been able to solve a problem for a year, two years, you probably need a fresh look at it. Um, and it's such a, it's such, it's so hard for people to do though, because it's giving away power. We go back to the paradox of power in order to become powerful. You have to give power away means you have to, have to give other people a voice. and But when you do, you can finally start to get new perspectives from employees who you've hired because they have a skill. And I'm not talking you've hired a new a GM or you've hired someone in the C-suite or a new director. I'm talking about you've hired a new, a new part-time server. Uh, you, you've hired uh, someone to uh, do something part-time and their, their goal and their idea, they want to become a nurse. Like these are the different perspectives that I'm talking about is every single level, every background, what what can you do? And it's easy for a new manager. It's an easy icebreaker to engage. Hey, here's a problem. I know that you do X, Y, Z. How would you solve this problem? It's a real easy end for those managers who are a little bit fearful of giving power away. But that supervisor, that managerial support in the very beginning of the onboarding process is very, very important. And it's the one time where managers have an excuse to say, I'm not putting out fires today because I have a new employee. It's an excuse and it's a great excuse to get back to basics. And Angelo, go ahead.
7: Yeah, I love
1: think you said right there just because, you know, for some
7: reason, there's this low latency understanding or expectation that you hire someone for all of these good things that they're bringing to the organization, to the company, only to strip them of those attributes and fit them into a mold when really we want to be empowering and supporting our employees to contribute those talents and those those specifics that just are are on the peripheral but what made them qualified applicants in the beginning right really leveraging and utilizing their specific skills in their roles and relying on that um, collective consciousness of, you know, how can you create a better work environment or create better onboarding process? One thing that I love to recommend is um, these three, six and nine month um, onboarding loop rounds, right? So after at three, six and nine months, you meet with, you know, a leadership or executive team and you give new employees are giving their feedback on what that onboarding process looked like, how it felt, where were there gaps? You know, what went well, what didn't, and what areas could be improved upon. And that's one thing that anyone can do or any company can really do with, um, you know, minimal input. You just kind of build that plan in to start accepting the feedback and feeding it into the loop. And that's what we want, right? A reciprocal loop that feeds into itself and perpetuates, you know, positive
2: energy and just employee engagement. Uh, Great pickup, Angelo. But Sarah and Jeremy, let me ask you this, because, you know, I'm a communication guy. (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I think one of the most vital elements of any successful organization is their ability to communicate. And, you know, Jeremy, you and I have talked about basic communication skills and if they exist, but why is there no sort of assessment or even discussion and onboarding about this is the way that we communicate as an organization whether it's you know the soft skills vocal skills present skills or if it's you know we use something like slack so let's show you how to use slack it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of you know even though communication is so vital onboarding doesn't really seem to, to include an assessment of where your communication skills are and perhaps we need to bring you up to speed. Are we just missing that? Sarah or Jeremy? Sarah, this is you.
3: I just want to say, I am so sorry, everyone, my friend to uninstall and reinstall the whole client, but I'm glad I'm back. Um, So when it comes to communication, um, especially within the onboarding process, I feel like it's a bit of an afterthought. Um, And I almost feel like, People are meant to sink or Of Like, oh, well, we interviewed That's and whether or not you fit with our company. You know, we think we did. Um, so that means you're going to be able to communicate. Um, everyone has different ways of communication, that's an ongoing and iterative process uh, teams. Um, and I do believe that it should be more. We're going to
2: -hmm. Yeah, Sarah, we're missing. Yeah, we're still having mic problems with your 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 in and out. So, um, let I'll let you figure that out, Jeremy. Let's go to you.
1: I'm getting better at lip reading now. I I I knew everything (laughs) she was saying. (laughs) At least we're on Zoom. We can do that now. (laughs) Um, Tom, refresh with the uh, the core.
2: Well, it's you know onboarding doesn't seem to include how are your communication skills, or this is the way we communicate. And if you don't know how to use this platform, you know, part of your onboarding is going to be training you on this platform so that you can jump right into the communication loop. But even the soft skills of how to use the voice, um, how to use this little rectangle that we're all sitting in today, that doesn't seem to be part of onboarding. And, you know, I I think Sarah's right that when they interview people, one of the things they're looking for is good communicators, but it's not a natural skill. It's not a natural ability. These things need to be taught and trained to be excellent at them. So is it just an oversight or is it that we don't understand the importance of communication? Because in a corporation, we talk about communication all the time. So why hasn't this been included in onboarding? Part of it is because
1: a lot of these things, with what you're talking about specifically, they're 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 newer, and organizations are just catching up and starting to find the breathing room in order to do that. Part of it also goes back to what Linda Ann was saying about the difference between orientation and onboarding, because you know when you're looking at it, onboarding, is more of the experiential aspect of it. Um, the and and that's where it, then it goes back to what Angela was saying, right? So we have a three to six nine month kind of loop arounds. I think was the terminology you use, which I love, where you have an onboarding experience, you have orientation, and then you have your onboarding training or your orientation training. And that's going to be the training where it kind of uh, goes in between the orientation and the onboarding because these are the skills that are going to give you the confidence to have a new experience, a new employee experience that is positive. So that can that can and, and should be definitely worked in. And everyone remember, and this started at this point, which was started out when Angela was speaking, when we look at socialization, which is onboarding to an organization, everyone agrees that it's a lifelong process to to an organization. You're with an organization for 10 years, you're constantly being onboarded or socialized. However, when you look at all the studies, there is nothing, maybe there is now, last time I looked was 2015, admittedly. There was nothing in 2015 that looked at what happens after a year. So everyone says it's 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 lifeline. It's a lifelong, but but companies don't see it past usually one month. Some three, some six, almost zero a year. But what happens once you've been with an organization for three to four years? And now you've gotten kind of now you've gotten stuck. Do you need to be re-socialized socialized to the organization? Do you need to regain a sense of that community belonging, the cultural aspects of it, uh, the who's who, being introduced to new people, refresh with the networking and everything else that, that's important? And again, like Tom, what you're saying, the new skills. Hey, what are the skills that are that the new employees are being taught? What's their experiences like? What didn't I get? And I've been here with the company for 15 years. So what should I be learning that the new employees are, are learning that I'm not? Because then you get to the top down versus the bottom down and it really starts to make a difference. So it's a matter of it's making sure that things are aligned and parallel. And one, quite frankly, easy way to do it is to get more bang for, bang for your buck in the onboarding process. If your managers are directly involved with the major points of, of their employees, the, the hiring managers, the, their employees onboarding process, you don't really have to go through this whole process with them because they're involved. They know what the employees are learning, but that's where it comes down to the managers being able to talk to other decision makers and the trainers in the organization and say, hey, look, hey, we're having a problem with our presentation on, on Zoom meetings or these particular, uh, th- these particular supervisors, whatever it may be, are having some difficulty, some lack of confidence, and they're expressing some fear with X, Y, and Z. Can we incorporate it in the learning process? If it's not a, if it's not a full circle where, where the the key decision makers and the important people are, I shouldn't say important people, but the key decision makers are involved, uh, then you're not going to have the opportunity to notice what you're noticing, Tom. And with things that are, you know, will it happen in another year or two once people get breathing room? I don't know. I don't know if I'm hopeful of that or not because it's these small things that make a huge dip- impact. That people often don't do and they procrastinate. Look at all the small things that we could do in our own lives that would make a huge difference in our sense of fulfillment at the end of every day. I'm but hoping we don't hap- do them,
2: no. <laughs> so. and I'm hoping it happens in my lifetime. Uh, Linda, Ann, let's go to you.
6: Um, I just wanted to make a comment of, about you know what you was, were saying, Tom, about what are we doing to train uh, people. And how they're communicating with regard to how they're representing the company and things like that. And that, I, it depends on the organization. And I think it depends on who you have in the position that is navigating or, or setting this process up. But prior to Zoom being a major communication tool, we did go through, you know, how people were Representing the company in their emails, you know, this is the tone that you use. This is the structure that you use. This is, you know, you don't say, "Why the hell did you do that?" You know, that kind of thing to your clients, and 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 so forth. And so, I think there just needs to be kind of um, an adaptation to that in how you're communicating on Zoom and how do you re- represent the the company, you know, professionally. Uh, and I don't think it's a huge stretch. I think it's something that people just need to pay attention to. Um, and I think that, you know, with regard to what Jeremy was saying also, it's, you know, a, that constant give and take for communication and how people are um, staying in touch with the organization, you know, follows into falls into the performance management process. You know, once you get beyond your onboarding process, it's recommended that people meet on a quarterly basis to just do those constant touch points. Where are you? What's your progression? Those kinds of things. And then on an annual basis, get that feedback from them. You know, what can the company do better to make it a better place for you to work? So it's, you know, all of these things carry a thread, but it's a constant commitment to, from the organization to the employees, and then really listening to, to the feedback that they they give. One other point I wanted to make was, One of the tools that we used was, I mentioned that, you know, that internal mentor um, person, that partner that they are assigned when they come in, that's an ideal training ground for management. And if you manage, have them utilize that technique and just focus on how are you interacting with that employee and what do they really need while they're not trying to manage the project and so forth as well, that creates that culture of engaged management and will benefit the company throughout uh their time with the organization
2: and we we really have to look at you know from that day one through the life of the employee with the organization because it can all be better can it not absolutely great uh angelo let's go to you There we go. Try it again, Angelo. We we may have some technical Uh, issues there. Yeah, um, you seem
7: just saying, Linda. You know, tied it all together.
2: Can you hear me? uh, You were sort of in and out. Your your connection seems to be better now. So try it again.
7: Oh, I was just saying. uh, I think the communication socialization and the idea of the internal mentor is is key aspects to the cultural development of the employee and it does really invite and create an opportunity for leadership senior mid managers or just senior employees who have worked in there for you know a year three years five years to engage with your employees to help with that onboarding process and vote on the actual job and it really does help Again, we have an internal program this onboarding process.
2: Really, advance that uh, skills utilization of your. Oh, I think we've lost Angelo totally now. Uh, so we we do seem to be having some technical issues today. Apologies on that. But but Jeremy, what I'm hearing is we really need to take a new look at onboarding. Because especially, you know, right now, we're going through the great resignation still, there are people moving from one company to another company, looking for that work life balance, it seems to on the most part, but isn't this a golden opportunity to not only in, in, to recruit the best people, but if you get your onboarding right, you're going to make these people longtime employees.
1: And that's one of the, and I want to get Jake in here um, to follow up. So, so Jake, just to, just to prep, if you, if you will, because I know you have a lot to say about this. Um, Yeah. And it's one of the, I'm noticing more and more that uh, companies are having a hard time attracting that top talent and they're really looking for that top talent. So it's an opportunity and it's an excuse people need excuses all the time. Why? Because we're human. Why? Because we, well, why are we human? We need, we need to justify, we, we constantly need to justify things. We constantly need a nudge, just a little bit of a nudge. You know, it's just like customer service. People want to help you, even if it's your cable provider and you've called them on the phone. We joke about this from time to time. They usually want to help you, but they just want an excuse. They want to know that you're the person that's nice. That's the person that's going to treat them well, and then, the, and then they'll take care of you. But it's a great time for excuses to start to change in a good way, to start to step out just a little bit of the comfort zone, encourage people to take risks. Kuzes and Posner have done four to, four to five decades of research on the five behaviors that are worldwide globally sought in leaders. And one of them is encourage good leaders, encourage other people to take risk. Well, that scares the socks off of some people. And when we look at fear, we talk about fear a lot, but again, good. If you're a leader in an organization, that position doesn't just come and you kick your feet up that position comes with, with responsibility. Right? So again, with great power comes great responsibility. So I, I, you know, do we, is it a bad idea to look at our leaders and organizations and to start to hold them more accountable for their leading rather than for their managing or micromanaging, I should say, kind of a little bit of here and there. But do we start to hold them accountable and drive them to become better leaders? I'll I'll add one more thing and then I want to turn it over to Jake. I read a study a while back where People that are thrown into leadership positions fare very well. When you throw them into the deep end, it's actually can be a good thing psychologically for them because we're more, I think about this in life, um, we are more poised to handle large, stressful, traumatic events than to handle a series of small, uh, stressful events. So. When you throw someone into the deep end, that's a large traumatic event. We're more poised physically, psychologically to be able to handle that. Plus, there's good stress. There can be good conflict that comes out of that. So sometimes take your leaders and realize, look, hey, we have have, uh, this person, this person, and this person, and they've been uh, promoted to a leadership position because they're really good at what they did, but we don't know if they're good leaders or not, and we're kind of figuring out that they're not. Well, get them some leadership training. Find people you trust. Find us, anyone here, all right? To do some leadership training, some leadership coaching and throw them into the deep end, hold their feet to the fire a little bit to be good leaders instead of good individual contributors, good workers. And Jake, what thoughts have been sparked?
8: Um, so I joined late, so hopefully whatever I said isn't repetitive of what was spoken about earlier. But I really think the most important part about onboarding is just making sure somebody is in charge of that onboarding experience for the new employee. And I don't even really know if it matters who it is. It can be a mentor, their boss, the hiring manager. I'm not sure it matters. But as long as the new employee receives phone calls to to help them socialize into the organization and also become comfortable with the position they're in. And I think usually the socialization aspect is kind of forgotten, like they may not, the new employee might not know the secretary's name and they'll get stressed over that and not know who to ask that about. And I think we're pretty good at covering, you know, work processes, how to do your job correctly, at least hopefully. But I think we fail at making new employees feel comfortable. And I just think organizations need one person to really focus on one employee and that would solve a lot of the issues. And that was kind of short. I thought I had more to say, but that really sums up my thoughts on the issue.
2: Well, it's a it, it inspires a new, another question in me, Jake, because can, if I get onboarding, right. Can I use that as a tool for recruitment? Can I say to a potential employee that I really, really want to get into my organization? I know that, you know, if you, you've you got another offer from another organization, when you look at things like the money and, you know, even maybe the life work balance, they're all equal, but we have an onboarding process, which you're going to love. Can I start using that as a plus when I'm recruiting? Jeremy, I see you nodding your head. I see you nodding your head. Jeremy, huge. let's go to you.
1: It's huge with your employer brand and empl- employee, employers are starting to, to see this. It's their employer brand. Do people want to work for the company? That's huge. If you can say it's it's like that old BMW com- commercial where it's uh, you know they've got the the heated cup holders and all these other little gadgets, and they say maybe it was Volvo. They say, look, if we're focusing on the details, you can bet your buttons that we've got our fundamental straight, right? So yeah, I mean, if you can say, look, we've got a great onboarding process that you're gonna love. We have something in place. That's the same thing. If we can focus on these other things that other organizations aren't, aren't going through, you can bet your buttons that we have a great organizational culture and we thought of everything else too. And Jake, let's go back
2: to you.
8: Sure. So anecdotally, I, I just had a friend quit a job after about six weeks because they weren't trained, weren't onboarded at all. So the answer to that question is yes, but I do think it needs to be systematic and kind of a word of mouth thing. I don't know if I would believe a recruiter personally. You know, if they called me and were like, yeah, our first two weeks will be great. Of course, they're going to say that. So I think it's, you need the history of acting in that way more than saying you do it.
2: Well, Jeremy, we've only got about five minutes left, but let me ask you for IOs, especially those who, who are maybe still in school or just emerging, or maybe they've only got a few years experience. Is it a great idea to get on to this onboarding topic and approach organizations with the knowledge and information that it can be better and that I'm the person who can make it better for you?
1: That's one of the fundamental things that new, you know, anyone new or anything that's, that's in the field is defining their niche area, their niche area of expertise. Onboarding is definitely one that can be there. If you can offer, uh, you know, I provide, you know, I help companies build targeted onboarding experience. I help Companies in the healthcare industry with smaller than 500 employees, what you know, get get specific with their their onboarding experience. If you can do that, you're going to speak very specifically to a specific target market, and you're going to do very well, and you're going to help a lot of people because you are now the expert not only on the topic but for that particular industry.
2: Great, Linda, and let's go to you. Uh,
1: with
6: regard to what what Jake was saying and and utilizing people also with with what you had to say, Tom, utilizing people uh, for with the recruitment process. One of the things that I've uh, utilized before is in the recruitment process and even on the website that we used, um, we encouraged people to contact somebody in the organization at the level that they were looking to come in. And I also had certain people who, um, you know, had already agreed to be able to, to want to meet for beer or coffee or whatever it was and go find out what it's like to work for that organization that makes you make as an as an employer pay attention to what they might say and how and how are you creating that culture so that it's a positive process you know and so i think that it's it's really important Um, and and I would recommend to any of the the younger people who or anybody who's looking for a position. When you go to investigate a company, see who you can meet for coffee and find out what it's really like.
2: Great, great idea. Goal. Yeah, Jake, let's go to you.
8: Oh, I'm sorry. I should have put my hand down. I have nothing else to say.
2: <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Thank you very much for your contribution today, Jake, Linda, and as well. Uh, Sarah, unfortunately, I I think is no longer with us. Uh, She's having technical issues and we've had some other technical issues, not surprisingly. Uh, But Jeremy, we've got about two minutes left. So do you want to sort of wrap this up for us and let us know when we're going to be getting back together again?
1: Yeah, so we will be skipping next Thursday give everyone a nice, uh, everyone loves a break from everything. So we'll be back on, we're going to shoot for December 30th. Um, everyone will know. So we're probably going to do a December 30th, but again, that's right before new year's Eve, who knows how we'll be feeling, but we'll definitely be back in January. We'll have the, uh, the LinkedIn live set up, but we'll continue to meet here where we can all chat. Uh, Tom, uh, yes. you have a question.
2: Well, I was just going to say, if someone wants to get in touch with you um, outside of these these live events, how do we reach you?
1: So, of course, I mean, everyone can contact me in particular on LinkedIn. Um, and Anyone, if anyone needs contact information for anyone joining here, I likely have it. Please let me know. I encourage you all to connect. If you guys want to put your LinkedIn profiles um, or even emails up in the chat, please please feel free to do that. If you're interested in anything CBOC related, you can just go to CBOC and fill out the, um, there's a contact form. And uh, there's also a waiting list for IO expert members you can go and sign up for. I think it's on the first uh, page of the website, but, you know, uh, any communication is welcome. You shoot an email over to, to hello at seabock.com with questions. But we, this episode will uh, eventually be put up on the work cookie podcast, Um
2: Speaking which of need. which, you're yes. also we're also doing uh, some podcasts with Sarah Barry Smith.
1: Yeah, so these are these are really these are fun, and uh, I, we don't know what we're calling them yet. But the, the trio might be in there. What we're doing, really, just me, me, Sarah, and Tom, fully laid back, really easy, twenty to twenty five minute uh, episodes. We're usually we're going to record two at a time, but we're going to open that up so that anyone can just hang out, and listen in and uh, enjoy the laughs. It's really good energy and and uh, camaraderie that we have, so it's, uh, it's even more laid back than this is.
2: Well, thank you very much for that, Jeremy. I see our time is up. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, and we hope that you have a great holiday season and much success for you in 2022. And with that, Jeremy, do you want to give us a countdown and get us out of here?
1: I will. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you for being here. Another great session show with some great minds closing in five four three two and one
0: thanks for listening to this episode of work cookie a seabock podcast